0: As children, our parents taught us about Christmas, but they shielded us from much else, such as the world's injustice. Christ came to save us from the world's trouble, from our own sin, and he was felled himself by that very treachery. Today we are buoyed to learn that the cross, his crucifixion, his being tortured and put to death was not the last word, not at all. Because Mary Magdalene, whom one Pope called the Apostle to the Apostles, ran to tell them and to let them know what had happened. And gradually, Those told and she gradually grow in faith. Peter goes in and eventually the beloved disciple goes in, the beloved disciple goes in, the beloved disciple goes in and sees and believes. Treachery and treason are no longer triumphant, rather God is and Christ is. Christ tried to teach them so many things but so many things were over their heads as they're over our heads and uh, he warned them of the cross that was to come, he warned them of the cross that was to come and uh, they instead were talking about which of them was the greatest. You really can't make that up for cluelessness, he's talking about the horrible death he'll have and they're trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest but now all of those things that he taught them, which they didn't get, are backlit by the resurrection. The resurrection eclipsed all else, and its light goes backward in time to all those things they'd heard before, but didn't get, didn't understand, and now they get it in the light of the resurrection, gradually, like all of us, but things are illuminated, and they're understanding, illuminating, and now they understand, and now they understand. I had a couple of my office, I do tons of marriages, I deal with grad students, they have no sense of self-restraint, they're always getting married, right? And so I'm always doing papers for weddings and sending them overseas and here and there, just a ton of weddings and papers. So I'm there in my file cabinet with a couple in there, and the guy was a radiation pathologist, are you with me? So pathology, x-rays, trying to figure out if somebody's got cancer or what, looking at the lungs or some other part of your body. And uh, so he told me that's what his job was. So I'm making small talk while I'm having the trouble of just getting all these forms out, it's a boring time. So he's making it interesting by tell- he's telling me about their interests or lines of work. And he told me a brilliant thing, which I try to remember to Easter. I remember being on the King's Road in Chelsea, London, uh, telling Jerry Collins, who used to be the Dean of the School of Theology in Rome, the Greg, and taught me there, and we both stopped. And almost people didn't get by. And what he told me, the pathologists say, for explaining all their years of study before they go at it with an x-ray. What the mind doesn't know, the eye cannot see. What the mind doesn't know, the eye cannot see. Let's say it together. What the mind doesn't know, the eye cannot see. But Christ explained to them what was going to come. It didn't work at that point but then backlit, the light of the resurrection going back into what he had taught them before, that suddenly illuminated and illuminating and suddenly understood because they were prepped for it by the good Lord even though they didn't figure it out at the time. And so is in our gospel, so much of this feast is a matter of hermeneutics, interpretation, figuring things out, making sense of life. All of us have to make sense of life. You and I, when we see a shirt and we're going to put it in the washer, it says, do not wear while ironing. Do not wear while ironing. Now, if you've ever figured that one out, please explain it to me. Never quite figured that one out. Do you see how complex this life can be? So let's cut a break for the poor apostles. Let's cut them a bit of a break. And let's also share the fact that we come together every Sunday to figure out our lives, complex as they are, and to figure out their meaning in the midst of all the trouble and woe and the good and the joy. And we do that as a community because that's where you figure things out. And people left to themselves so often come up with crazy things or do crazy things because of crazy interpretations. But as a community, there's health and wholeness and also the sharing from generation to generation of the good news and hope in the middle of many things that might lead, might lead to despair. Now if you, want a, uh, if you want a great example of that, it's what's called the afternoon or evening gospel of Easter. And it's the gospel of the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus. It's found in Luke, it's found in the 24th chapter, verses 13 to 35. So it's found in the 24th chapter of Luke, what chapter? The what? Okay, and it's verses 13 to 35. What verses? So you have them in your back pocket. Some of you may even have Google. I'm not trying to predict things, but I'm saying you could look it up and and think of it and pray it and be touched by it. It's one of the most touching of Gospels, as is our one today. But I mention that because they were talking about all the things that had happened, Christ being taken into custody on trumped-up charges, things that were false, and then tortured and then the worst of death's crucifixion and they were lost and they were in despair and they had had hopes and the hopes were dashed. And then someone fell in with them in the walk on the road to Emmaus. And he began explaining things to them in the scriptures which they hadn't understood. Precisely what we've been talking about here and here and then there. And that's what the whole church reads on Easter afternoon. You often see paintings of that in that marvelous evening light or sun, sun, and sunset light, as we will see today. And We see the three people walking. We have them in our mind's eye. And they don't realize who it is. And then he comes into their home and they have the breaking of the bread, the Eucharist. And they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. Now that's a term for mass. We have it as a single syllable, four letters, mass. And isn't it interesting that when we try to figure things out, we come every Sunday, every week, because he said do this in remembrance of me, we do it. And we come together and we hear of God's work in history, that's the Old Testament reading. We have a chance, we who are workaholic and we're slave drivers than the slave drivers in Egypt were to ourselves and our workaholism, there's no time for friends or family or life. We have a moment to let our crumbled up little heart sort of come back to life and actually have real blood and aeration, a bit of oxygen, and we pray the psalms. Listen close, you'll find one of those couplets is a perfect aspiration to bring your heart and your life back to life. And then the gospel our word, Lord's very words, which bring us to life and teach us about life, life to the full and of how God so loved the world that he sent his only son, and his son revealed the loving kindness of our God beyond anyone's power to characterize. Some of the last gospels we have, Luke 15, the prodigal son, the father prodigal in love, so it's in every anthology of literature, atheists telling you it's the most moving thing they ever heard. The woman caught in adultery, all the religious people wanted to stone her, and then Christ who came out against religiosity for true religion is the one who saves her. What could be more ultra-modern and sensible than that? And so learning the loving kindness of our God through the revelations in the gospel by Christ of what a marvelous, loving, and great God, good God, God is. And then the works of the apostles. Here's Peter, here's Paul, the greatest denier of Christ and persecutor of Christians, become the rock of the church and the uh, greatest missionary with his very writings in the New Testament, you can't make this stuff up. You say it couldn't happen. I agree with you, it couldn't happen. It's impossible it could happen, but it did. It is impossible that those things could happen, but they did. Such is the loving kindness and the mercy of our God for us sinners. How enormously touching, how enormously touching that. So mass, if given the chance, transforms us, not only the word of God, but the breaking of the bread, the long prayer there where we kneel and pray for all those in need who we're concerned about, and then Christ giving himself not only on the cross, but to us in this meal every Sunday, and building a community. Now that's what's often missed. We are here building the body of Christ. There's the body of Christ we get on the tongue or in the hand. But then there's the body of Christ which we achieve by coming together, getting to know one another, caring about one another, making a difference. Many are the people who think that the world just exists for, it's two letters, can you guess? Me. I don't mean just me, but just themselves. And they can have their talents, gifts, their wealth, and they can hold it to themselves and they can go through the whole of life without having discovered what their purpose is or what their life could have been that God wanted, God wanted them a much broader, higher, greater, deeper life. But they pass it by by keeping it all clutched. And then they meet other people and they help them and they interact and they gradually learn what their life could be, how they could help, the difference they could make, and they make immense differences in life for loads of other people and they're remembered ever after because they help build the body of Christ. And that's the church and that's God's, that's Christ's hands and eyes and ears to listen and see, and feet and hands to serve. And that's what all of you do. If you're a parent, uh, you may feel like you're treated like an ATM machine or a Mac machine at times. If you're a, a parent, you may feel like uh, you're doing laundry and providing meals, you know? If a person, someone said, if somebody bought you a dinner, would you be grateful? Yes. If they bought you dinner, lunch, or breakfast, would you be grateful? Very grateful. If they bought you th- that for two days, would you be grateful? Enormously grateful. Well, think of your parents. Think of your parents. Think of your parents. Give them a call. Let them know you're still alive. Let you know them know you love them. Even if you, uh, don't be too effusive, of course they'll think you have cancer, <laughs> but it'll be such a shock. But to build bridges to other people, isn't that, doctors always say, the, uh, the, uh, one of the sources of health? Having more links to more people, how true. Mass transforms us. Now it's not in our in our booklet, but in the booklet, the uh, missalette in your pew, there are two options for the feast, and I thought it more apt to pick the one, one Corinthians five eight, and that's the one about the uh, the true yeast of uh, not malice, but of sincerity and truth. And think of those words. Think of work, home, laboratory, office, whatever, uh, construction job, and think of how different they are if they if the uh, note if the motif is malice and wickedness, or a transformation, sincerity and truth. And so the mass doesn't simply exist in the abstract, but it changes us. We're transformed from glory into glory to Christ the Lord all of us, by the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit. And how crucial that we let that happen and come to be. And so Second Vatican Council said, we are as a leaven in the world, leaven like yeast. Bread is not just yeast there's just a bit of yeast in the bread but then the bread rises and without it, it doesn't. So the yeast makes an enormous difference but it's mixed all in. And so are we as Christians. We're mixed in with loads of other people we are happy to be with them shoulder to shoulder. And they're delightful and good people too. But what we learn from Christ makes us a leaven in the world, yeast. Now, do you think a priest could come up with a limerick about yeast for Easter? It's impossible. Couldn't be done. I remember one from childhood. Do you want to hear it? Well, even if you don't, you're going to hear it anyway. <laughs> Be good for you. There once was a pious young priest who dined almost wholly on yeast. For it's sure he would say, "We shall all rise one day, and I want to get started at least." I apologize. It's horrible. But every gentleman should have one bad lirick. But that's actually a good one, because it reminds us of 1 Corinthians 5:8. What's the citation? It's 1 Corinthians 5.8, can I really hear that? I'm not trying to be a bother, but I want to, want to just check that when you're going along the, the public road or the common byway, you can pull out your, uh, look up Google on your phone and have it and pray it. Because to be transformed from malice and wickedness, to sincerity and truth, and to be that as a leaven in the world, is precisely what we all say this world needs. But sometimes, we rarely allow it to happen in our professions, in our workplace, in the byways and highways, and all around. We like the shortcut. We don't want to be bothered by what the Lord, what the Apostle, what our Apostle, St. Paul, suggests right there. And so, can I recommend that as a meditation for the week, not have Easter as an abstraction, we're just the bunny rabbits, whom I admire thoroughly. Very glad to get the eggs. I don't know how the bunny rabbits get the eggs, but that's a scientific matter. But you uh, have that idea of our transformation. Amen. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.